Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. The Restory Show, episode number 18. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. Today, I am welcoming my friend Richard Leakey to the Restory Show. We met when I was teaching writing outside of Geneva, Switzerland last fall and just really enjoyed getting to know him and his heart and um, the family there and all the different writers. And it was just a life-changing experience for me. So I'm just so grateful for um, having that. Plus, Richard is on my prayer team and he has sent some great emails that come just at the at the perfect time. He's he's a man who loves the Lord and who listens to the Holy Spirit. So I'm grateful for that and I really look forward to you listening to this episode today. Hey everyone, it's Mary with the Restory Show and today I have on the show Richard Leakey. That's how you pronounce your name, right? Yep, it's great. Okay. And he is from the other side of the world, although he probably sees it the other way that I'm on the other side of the world. But I met him when I was uh, outside of Geneva and I was teaching a group of Youth with a Mission writers. And he was one of the people in my group. He's writing an awesome fantasy novel for his girls and uh, has been shopping it around. It's been a really fun process. <laughs> or maybe he would say it's not a really fun process. But <laughs> anyway, so he's a writer, but he's a lot more than that. And so Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's awesome. So I'm going to ask you first a little bit about your background and your story. So before you came to the spot where you are right now in Switzerland, tell me like a little bit about your upbringing and then what were you going to do for a living? And then you met your wife sometime in there and then you have a bunch of kids and just kind of give me your overall story. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> Am uh, I going to regret this? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> now I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor in the Anglican Church in England. Solid, warm, home, really lovely. Uh, when I was 16, I got a call into missions uh, and ended up doing a degree in agriculture to go serve in Africa. I met Elaine at university. We got married and together we went to join Youth with a Mission and lots of curves and bumps in the road led us to Switzerland, where we've been for the last uh, 17 years. And in the last four or five years, 21 years after I felt God call me, I finally started to go into Africa, travel regularly and do agricultural development, which is what gets me out of the bed in the morning and what I'm really passionate about. That's awesome. So as I've been watching my garden slowly grow, because spring's a little ahead of you guys here in Switzerland, yeah. but there's something really, really amazing and beautiful about being able to grow your own food. So I can only imagine what kind of joy that brings you to walk alongside other farmers doing that. Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, the thing that I'm really passionate about would be to see uh, subsistence farmers, people who are living on less than a dollar a day, be set free to, to have enough to feed their kids, to pay for their school fees, to pay for their medical fees. And that just is, yeah. I often get on the plane and think, I can't believe this is my day job. I, I would do this for nothing. So, yeah. What's, uh, get, tell us one story of maybe a turnaround you got to be a part of and in what country was that? The, the story that springs to mind, I'm actually looking at a picture of it right now, is uh, we have a YWAM team just outside Mombasa in the Shimba Hills. And we've got a good friend there, Martin, uh, who's actually a Brit. And he brings loads of agricultural experience and technical ex expertise because he was a, an advisor for the British government in agriculture. Took early retirement, went to Kenya to help. And he found on his farm that he could bring all his experience and was doing okay. We had a conversation uh, in November last year where he said, you know what, everything I've got isn't actually going to make this farm work. My mm. European farming techniques don't work. And we were able to use a, a, a wonderful 
technique that was created in South Africa called Farming God's Way and help him, explain to him how to farm much more sustainably. Uh, and we were able to go in February and do a, a training with the whole village. We had 45 farmers and we'll be going back probably in June to do another training and then definitely next year. And uh, it's just amazing to be along for a journey with this community because it's not just feeding them, it's also helping them to see that in God, following his values and ways, we can actually uh, change the generations of our family as well as feeding them. Mm, I love that. And so has the has Martin been able to learn? I mean, has he been happy to learn these new things? Yeah, very happy. So he's on a whole journey of figuring that out. Yeah, and wonderful person because he's been so humble as well. It's so hard to, to lay down stuff that you've known and practiced for so many years and hear, especially from somebody younger than you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really big up Martin because he has been very humble. And But I think also it's the the rains aren't great this year and so it'll be really important to be using a, a sustainable method of agriculture so we're hoping that the farmers who've put this in practice will see a massive difference compared to their neighbors this year that's cool and i love that he's kind of like in the same boat as they are so they're all kind of like learning and failing and succeeding together alongside each yeah, other exactly yeah 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 we should stick a picture of him somewhere around the website because uh, you should Beautiful picture of the us all training together in the field. That's awesome. I love that part of your story that talks about 21 years later, because I think yeah. we all have that part where, like, I know God spoke to me very specifically in my 20s, and it's only in my late 40s that I'm finally seeing the fruition of that vision. But in between that and now was a whole lot of hard work and yeah. a lot of broken dreams and a lot of confusion as to, you know, I thought God said this to me. So speak to that a little bit about what it was like in your journey to wait that period of time and the questions that came. If I look at what I'm doing now, so looking backwards, I think I needed a whole bunch more humility and brokenness mm-hmm. in my life to be able to go into a community instead of with all the answers with an invitation into a learning process uh, and the humility to go as a learner. And I think if I look backwards I can make sense of a long season of waiting because I wasn't ready to do what God was asking me to do. The call was there, the gift set was there, but the character wasn't. Mm. And when I look at, you know, so many of the biblical stories where you see, you know, a David go on a journey of herding sheep or a Moses go on a journey of herding sheep, so much of that process seems to me to be about God refining our character so that we're sufficiently out of the way so he can be expressed. I think about that with my first book released in 2005, and I'm so grateful that it didn't take off and become some sort of international bestseller <laughs> because my character wouldn't have caught up with it. And it would have been, fame yeah. would have been a bad thing for my heart at that time. And, you know, I still don't have those bestsellers, and I'm really grateful for it because I see it as that tending sheep and, yeah. and, wanting to get to that place where actually I can, I can absolutely say God gets the glory for whatever happens because it's not exactly. me. There's a lovely prayer I've got on my top of my to-do list, uh, and it says, keep me holy, humble, and hidden. Mm. Keep me honest. <laughs> and that there might be a time when there is enough character in my life to walk, walk out celebrity or work out, walk out something, leading something big. But at the moment, I'm really aware of just, yeah, that need to be humble and hidden. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. So when I pitched this to you and I asked you if you had a story that you might want to tell, you talked about a journey that you've been going on that's been really difficult. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are in the same generation as we are that have kids, but we also have parents who are aging. And that's not necessarily a very easy journey. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the current journey you're in? Yeah, that was... uh... A painful smirk. Um, <laughs> For those of you who can't see his face, he's painfully smirking. <laughs> <laughs> My dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's uh, five years ago um, in January. We'd known he'd had some issues probably for three or four months before that. Uh, and he passed away in August last year. And he actually passed away of cancer. Wow. Which we feel as a grace because it foreshortened a lot of what could have happened with the Alzheimer's. But we walked five years of 
gradual goodbyes with dad and talk about Alzheimer's being the long goodbye. And so we did. We we said goodbye to him again and again and again over five years until what was left was a, a very sweet old man, but with very little awareness of what was going on around him. And then in the last month, the cancer really took a, a grip on him. And so he became much more like that sort of terminally ill cancer patient, less and less able to move and stopped eating at the end, stopped drinking. Um, but much of that five years was that yeah, less dad and, and more Alzheimer's process. Mm, mm. So your mom was alive at the time and all that. So she's still alive, right? Yeah. Mum nursed him all the way until the end. And I think one of the many, many grace notes we see is that uh, we actually managed to keep him at home and he actually died in a bed in the in the living room we'd converted the living room into a sort of a hospice room for him and, and we were able to make it to the end of that process so he passed away at home we hadn't needed to send him to care but mum carried that became a full-time job for the last three years of his life wow and yeah. so when you heard and when she heard the diagnosis and when he heard it how did everyone respond I think he he rightly called it a death sentence and it mm. took him a few months to to get his head around it. And he was already beginning to lose his ability to relate to what was happening, even as we got a diagnosis. Uh, and specifically, the Alzheimer's began in the language center of his brain. So it got quite hard quite quickly for him to talk, even though for maybe two years of the process, he was quite present mentally. Very quickly, having a conversation got very, very difficult. And what mm. happened is the hook between a word and a thing got lost. So mm. he would see a, a cup on the table and he would know what it was. But the word cup was no longer associated with that. So he would often say, pass me the white thing, the mug of coffee that he, he couldn't reach. But yeah, cup or mug w w was no longer associated. So when you bring that out into trying to express a complicated emotional process that got quite hard for him but I think we saw the depth of his relationship with God because I think his, his if I had one word to describe his response it would be peace filled hmm. that's not always the case <laughs> uh, no not at all and so I think it pushed me to say wow well, I want to arrive at my end of life scenario knowing that there's only one way out of here hmm. we all get to die somehow I want to arrive in that season of my life ready to accept that transition because I saw the fruit of 40 years of walking with Jesus mm. and not just half-heartedly someone who'd really pursued God through his life and really settled the big questions with God so that he didn't have a lot of doubts and fears and frustrations. We got peace. What, mm. what was on the inside that came out was this kind of gentle spirit and it was although Alzheimer's is horrific because it strips so much away it was beautiful to watch the reality of somebody who spent a lifetime walking with Jesus that is amazing because I think you know a lot of times if you visit nursing homes you'll see kind of two extremes sometimes and I don't think this is you know completely universal but people who have walked with the Lord for a long period of time tend to get sweeter <laughs> Yeah, people exactly. who have been angry and selfish their whole lives tend to get nastier and angrier. And so how interesting to be able to see the direct effect of someone's walk with Christ. Exactly. And some of the reason I wanted to felt this or felt this would be a great story is because we saw the presence of God so tangibly with us in so many ways. As painful as it was, I've never been more certain at this point of the reality of who God is and his faithfulness because he he was present. Um, one of those gifts to us was a, a, a lady uh, who was in our church called Bar Barba, who was an Alzheimer's nurse. And we didn't know that because she was in Switzerland as a trailing spouse with her husband. You know, she was an amazing gift to us because we said, you know, several people are saying to us, Alzheimer's is horrible. Your dad will be violent and mean and horrible. And she, she came alongside us. She said, you know what? That's not my experience. My experience would be what's on the inside comes out. Hmm. And Alzheimer's strips away filters and layers. And you get to you get to see the core of the person who they truly are. And it was amazing, like you say, to see. I think faith made so concrete that you can't escape it. There's such a difference to someone who is connecting with Jesus. So I don't understand how dad continued to have a relationship with God when he was on, no longer able to have a relationship with us. But you watched him 
in the place he was at and you could say oh, yeah he's well with his soul mm-hmm. he, he is genuinely finding enough to make it through the day there's grace for the day in this season and i thought wow i'm glad i don't have to figure that out mm-hmm. how that works but the fact that we can see it is just deeply painful and and almost indescribably beautiful as you walked through that journey Besides that, which was the, probably the, one of the bigger takeaways, I'm sure, what other ways did you see God's care for you personally while you were saying all these long goodbyes? And were you, he wasn't with you in Switzerland, right? He was in England, right? Yeah. So dad, uh, mom and dad, I still live in England where I was born and raised. Uh, my two brothers live quite close to mom and dad. So they did lots of the hand-on care, mm. hands-on care between the three of them. And so many ways God provided for us tangibly. Uh one example would be how, because we work as missionaries, so we're on support. So one of our supporters actually said to us, I want to cover your airfares home. I think you should go see your dad at least every couple of months in this in this period. Mm. And so they, they covered airfares to fly home every six weeks. Say. Mm. So for two years, I went home every six weeks and just sat with dad, especially there was a whole middle period where he was very aware that he wasn't seeing me and not very able to communicate. Towards the end, that got less important because he didn't have a clue about time and loved it when I was there, but was very unaware about how long it was since he'd last seen me. He wouldn't know if it was five minutes since I walked out of the room or five months. But in the the gradual descent in the middle, there was two years where he would regularly say to my mom, I miss Richard. And so I would fly home, sit with him. Not, Not many words, but he just wanted to hold your hand and give you a hug. So he would sit watching the craziest TV shows because he suddenly started to like all these, you know, police camera action things because he just <laughs> liked it was stimulating enough for him. We'd never watched anything like that, but we watched <laughs> so many of those things. Just really bizarre shows that were not my dad, but that was what he wanted to watch because that was, you know, every 30 seconds something new happens and mm. that was sort of, it got to be his attention span with the Alzheimer's. And so he would sit and watch that Um and you'd sit and hold his hand and smile a lot. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think there were lots of concrete graces like that. But I think I was discuss- discussing with my daughter this evening who's working through just a tough situation in signing on to an apprenticeship and said to her, you know, you make it through tough times because you get up in the morning and you know it's really hard. But you sit down with Jesus and you meet with him and you find the grace for the next few hours. And you, you read the Bible and God meets you in that and you find peace in that moment and that peace sustains you for the next few hours until you hit the next moment where you think this is impossible and you stop and you pray and God meets you and and you find the grace to do the next hurdle and the next thing and so you know even today today's a a sad day it's been months since dad passed away but today's just a day where I feel really flat and I almost wanted to call you and cancel and say I can't do this I have nothing to say but just felt like you know I'm going to pray and ask Jesus what he wants me to do and felt yeah no follow through And then suddenly you get here at the end of the day and you think, you know what, I do have enough energy left over to do this. And there is grace for this moment. And I think think I've just found God meet me when I've stopped and involved him in the process. He's been incredibly present. Yeah, that's a good word. As you know, uh, you're on my prayer team, so you know we're struggling with joblessness right now. And and it seems like every four minutes I'm needing to say, okay, I'm really confused, help me. But it's true. I think a lot of us will get... Since we're doers, we'll just keep doing, 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 and we'll forget to stop and ask God for the strength that we need to make it through for the next little tiny hurdle or or gigantic, you know, steeplechase hurdle. So yeah, exactly. I think part of my revelation in this five years has been that you know I grew up in a Christian home, having a quiet time, reading our Bibles, knowing what prayer was, but I actually realized in in this season that I could go to Jesus for comfort and conversation almost continually through the day and I don't think I'd ever walk that out in the same way as I've learned to do that in these last few years that uh, my office is about 300 yards from home so I would you know you get busy and you're working away and you're and you're getting through and you get a job done and you finish and and now it's time to go home and I'd come out of the office and I'd suddenly realize how absolutely exhausted I was and I realized that in that 300 meters Without doing anything fancy, I could just say, Jesus, I, I don't feel like I've got the strength to be a dad and a husband when I make it home. I don't, I don't have that, but I know that you do. And of course, as a family, we've lived this season. It's been hard and painful, but to watch how God gave me 
the energy to bring anything into the family. Just because on that 300-yard walk, I went, okay, can't do this. Need you to be the strong place, the firm foundation, not for the next six months, but for the conversation the kids need to have me with me when I work in the door because mm-hmm. teenage daughters need their dad and I can't just <laughs> press, press pause until granddad passes away with Alzheimer's. Right. right. That isn't going to work. And just seeing how brokenly, imperfectly, I'm really aware of my own limitations in this season and how imperfect I am, but how amazing God has been in that really broken place to to come through and be enough for, for me, but for us as well as a family. Yeah. I love that. I think, and, and this may be true in Great Britain as well, but in American evangelicalism, we tend to put things in boxes. And so there's the quiet time box, there's your time of prayer box, there's a a physical closet you walk into that you pray Mm -hmm. in, and we compartmentalize God into these, you know, parts of our, of our lives. And when we do that, we forget that there's a 24 seven availability of the Lord. And so I resonate more with, the older I get, I guess, I resonate more with Brother Lawrence, who's doing the dishes and practicing the presence of God while he's doing the dishes. So when I'm interviewed by people on the radio or whatever, they'll say, tell me about your quiet time. Or I just don't really think of it in terms of those boxes anymore. I see it more, like you said, more of a minute by minute relationship with God where I'm usually just praying help all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, it's such a difficult thing to capture until you start to walk it out because like you say, I think we're there's great value in stopping for a quiet time and I and I sure. and I try to do that every day. I'm not saying I shouldn't stop and have a moment with the Lord or I should stop being in church or I should stop, you know, going to a prayer meeting. But it's the fact that he's so present and he so wants to walk with us. So suddenly I've got a friendship, an intimate friendship, rather than a to-do list of contact points. Yeah, so there's there's so many places where I've learned that God is interested in what I'm doing and he, and he meets me when I'm not able. And in my weakness, his strength is present and visible. And I think, you know, just looking at the situation from the outside, looking in, I'm such a language person, and you are as well, that to see God kind of circumvent language Mm, and to, you know, have a relationship with your dad beyond language. There's something supernatural there that, you know, that scripture comes alive when the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. It's we don't have the words and the capacity. Well, he absolutely didn't have that capacity, and yet he still maintained a relationship with God. God supersedes that language. And beyond that, God was still using him. I think there's a book. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Somewhere in this process about just how good God is and how he never stops being good. So um, we should talk about the allotment, but uh, my dad ended up in a, a daycare group that ran a small kind of allotment. Is that a word that your listeners would understand? No, why don't you describe what that okay. is? Yeah, an allotment in the United Kingdom, we have pieces of ground that are owned by like the county, the local government, uh, and they would they would rent a small piece of ground to you and you would grow your own vegetables or keep chickens on it or something like that. And these places would be grouped together. So they'd be sort of a big fenced in area and there might be like a hundred of these little plots. Maybe uh, my dad's was maybe like 400 yards square or something mm-hmm. like that. Anyway, he ended up going to this little daycare allotment because he'd always grown his own vegetables and they looked after him. Really beautiful care. That's what what this little charity does is care for people with dementia. And one of the staff volunteers at this place uh, is a young guy, a young recovering alcoholic from a very broken family background and wrestling to come wrestling to stay sober really trying but but really not really making it because the vacuum that created his alcoholism with lack of a love of a father was still the real deal and my dad's always been loving and affirming not a perfect father but but really we me and my brothers know that we know that we're loved Uh, and at this point dad no longer had words 
but he wouldn't leave the allotment unless he'd given Steve a hug. And the first thing he wanted to do when he got there was was give this volunteer Steve a hug. And he was in that phase where he was loving and relational, and he always was, but it was that was the majority of what you got. But he, but he literally wouldn't leave the allotment site if he hadn't just made eye contact with Steve and embraced him. And that was such a powerful expression of God's love for this young guy through this very broken Alzheimer's sufferer. And like you say, beyond words, rich, deep communication of, of God's love. So seeing, it's not just that God was able to communicate with him, he still had sufficient relationship with God to be ministering that reconciliation that God longs for for each of us. And that, that just blows my mind away because at this point we were struggling, he was struggling to recognize us at this point and yet still was being used as maybe one of the most powerful things my dad ever did in his ministry. It's just unbelievable how no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you are walking through, no matter what we're walking through in this season, God is just bigger and God's character is good enough to be the answer as you walk through life. For the listeners of Restory, Audible is offering that free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their services. And today I suggest you try the Lord of the Rings trilogy, mainly because I think of Richard when I think of those. He's got this awesome accent. Of course, he doesn't think he has an accent, but he also is writing fantasy for his daughters. And so it just seems like an appropriate thing to download. Um, You can download that or any other book that you've been wanting to listen to. And to do that, go to audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Again, that's audibletrial.com restory for a free audiobook. And interesting that the probably most powerful sermon he preached was definitely without words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's very humbling for us. Maybe we should all shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Incredibly humbling for us as communicators to go, yeah, we, my, that's a life example. If, if the non-word stuff is not powerful, then the word stuff is kind of just pale and empty. Which so. is, you know, First Corinthians 13 of the noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So exactly. if we don't have love, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, really deep communication. And I think leading on from that, the allotment story as well, I think seeing my dad express God's goodness to, to Steve, but also seeing God express goodness to my dad. So my dad would have started growing vegetables with his dad. Uh, he was born in the time of um, rationing in the Second World War in the UK. So they they had space to grow vegetables. And my dad will have grown up doing that with his dad. And he, we were told stories, I think he was maybe 12 when his dad gave him his first garden space to, to run by himself. And he passed away when he was in his mid-70s. So, you know, that's more than 60 years of growing vegetables and when he was in ministry that was something that he uh that was his day off pre-mobile phones if you left the house no one could reach you (laughs) Uh, and so he would leave the house and go garden and you know do stuff in the garden and then you know he couldn't hear the phone and so on his day off he wasn't wasn't bothered and so when he retired from ministry mum and dad bought a small house but then rented one of these little allotment spaces these pieces of land that the county will rent to you and loved going down there, cycled out two or three times a week. And so one of the kind of long goodbye moments was standing with him in his allotment and realizing at the end of a season that he actually hadn't done anything. He'd driven there, cycled there, and not actually been able to do anything. And, and because we'd never been involved with that, that was dad's thing. He didn't need help for that. To stand there and just see what he hadn't done for a whole season was just heartbreaking. And... Alzheimer's sufferers do a thing called phasing. Uh, you, they walk up to a situation. So it might be as simple as tying their shoe or putting on a sock or, you know, just a simple task. And what happens is because the circuitry for that task, the, the memory of what to do in this moment has been eaten away by the disease, they stop at that task. But instead of going, I don't know how to do this, it just is like running into a hole in your thought pattern and there's no way to get over that hole so you just stand there and do nothing for a long period and your brain is frantically trying to figure out what to do 
and it loses its sense of time in that moment. So Alzheimer's victims often just stand motionless trying to figure out what to do and they're not even aware that they're doing that. And so we think dad has gone to the allotment time after time after time and spent most of his day just phasing, just standing there not sure what to do and not aware of what's gone on and realised eventually that he was hungry and cold and come home and not really realised he'd not done anything even. Mm, wow. Yeah, deep, it was... It was just awful, awful, <laughs> awful day to go to the allotment with him on one of his trips and just to see the state of it and to go, wow, that's that's where we're at. It was just deep, deep pain. And so we realized we, it was time to give the keys back to this land. Mm. Uh, but just a series of grace notes in that process. The first one was Alzheimer's. You sort of have golden moments where the person suddenly comes back to you and you actually suddenly feel like you they are with you. And I was over and mum and I had had a talk the afternoon before and we knew we were going to say to dad, okay, that's it, we're done. And we didn't know how he would react or if he would even understand. And so the next morning at breakfast, we we brought the topic up. And for 15 minutes, he was back in the room with us, Hmm. which was such a grace to mum because it was such a hard thing to do for her to to say, no, that part of his life is gone. Hmm. Your carer, I'm deciding that for you. You can't even decide that you're not doing this anymore. I'm going to make a decision. And for 15 minutes as as it was crunch time, we had this golden Alzheimer's window and and had a real conversation with dad about it. And he actually said, I think we need to give the keys back. Mm. You're just like, wow. You just see the kindness of God to walk with us. And in the process of doing that, on that same visit, we were really racking our brains for, should we put dad in respite care? Should he go to a day center? Because what happens is in Alzheimer's, a person reaches a point where they can't occupy themselves because they don't track what's going on. So they end up just wandering around with you because at, at least they understand they're with you and, and that's doing something. But that is exhausting mm. to carer. So you, can't, you couldn't say, I'll put a film on, I'll leave you to watch this film. Too long. Why don't you read your book? Can't can't get to the end of a page and remember what you read. So you're looking for a place to be cared for. And literally in the same week as we were given this key back, we made contact with a lady who'd lost a mum to dementia who was running this small charity that we mentioned a few months ago, which had an allotment. And literally the allotment was about, it was on the same site that my dad had been hmm. going to. And so suddenly we had this place that was the perfect solution in the moment where we were giving up something deeply painful. God said, yeah, you're right. Give this up. But but here's the solution. I'm not even sure if dad noticed the difference. He just went to an allotment. There just happened to be more people at the allotment he was going to. And he carried on weeding and growing vegetables and serving in this place. And you think that is so unnecessary. Like, Dad could have sat in a respite center. It would have been okay. He could have gone to daycare. It would have been all right. But God doesn't do all right. God does amazing and wonderful. And I think to be able to hold on to moments like that in the midst of a time that's so difficult, it was deeply painful. But to see, yeah, God just doesn't see what I need. God sees the extravagance that will make it okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there are moments when he meets us there which is just, I, I run out of words to express the goodness of God at that point. So did you ever have a moment prior to the Alzheimer's where he was able to impart to you kind of a blessing or a, a charge or here's something I see in you, Richard, I'm proud of you, something that you've kept with you? I'm not sure if it was a moment or as an ongoing process as a young man where my dad did that. I think that's the gifts he was to us where he... He brought that through in the way he raised us as sons. So I remember in our youth group, there was a whole process of our youth leader saying, you know, you need spiritual mentors in your life. Who are your, who are your spiritual parents? And uh, I was really bothered by that for quite a few weeks because I couldn't think who my spiritual parents were until I realized that my parents... Your actual parents. <laughs> were my spiritual parents. <laughs> and they were my go-to spiritual mentors. Uh, my mom still still holds that role and it's beautiful to watch her be a spiritual mentor to my children as well a real spiritual grandmother as well so yeah i'm i'm a i teach and when i think one of my key 
mentors in becoming a public speaker and a teacher was my dad as well. Um, the, the first moment when I came down from having preached in his church, his former church, and I realized for the first time he hadn't understood what I'd preached on because of the Alzheimer's. That was another death by a thousand goodbyes. No. <laughs> Just horrific. Yeah. But yeah, I think rather than dad affirming a specific, I think dad affirmed the process I walked out in and walking out in with God so that I'm left not hanging on to a few words, but with a deep relationship with God that's been, I just want to say, a continuation of, of the story dad worked with God. He was able to pass on that walk. And I think that's the, the affirmation. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's, I think, the goal of all of us as parents. We don't want to just live for these like strategic moments. You, you hear like parenting people talk about, well, you need to spend significant moments. Well, no, you just need to spend a lot of time and, and just live your life yeah. alongside your child and affirm them as you go and not just make these moments, but that every moment is a moment and it adds up for, you know, for their entire lives. That is the model I think my dad, dad showed me in that I'm, Humbly trying to walk out with my kids. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. We all struggle with our parenthood, I think. <laughs> so yeah. let's say someone is walking through a similar pathway with a, with a, a parent who has been recently diagnosed. What kind of advice or encouragement would you give them? I think the first thing is it's, it's okay to grieve and it's okay to lose and, and, and that it, that I think sometimes we want it to be okay, and sometimes it just isn't okay, and that's all right. Uh, again, I was talking with that was part of our conversation with Naomi, my oldest daughter, just around dinner. You know what? The situation you're you're in is unjust, and it sucks, and and it isn't okay. But you're still loved, and you're still accepted, and God is just bigger, and His goodness is okay for this situation. But it's all right to weep, and it's all right to to express that hurt and anger and in fact if we don't that's when it gets really weird i think in our personal process so where where are you gonna let the pain out because it's gonna come out somewhere and it'll come out in dysfunctional relationships and addictions and and comfort seeking if if we're not finding a healthy way to let it out rich intimate friendships where you can just weep on somebody's shoulder and say this sucks and mm -hmm. it hurts mm -hmm. i can't do this i think that would be super important because I think God walks that out with us. He's ready to weep with us and to walk with us in that process. And, and intimate friendships are so important to walk that out in in your story. Yeah, I think inviting other people into the community of that too is, is really helpful. And being able to say this hurts and I'm grieving and we don't, we live in a culture that doesn't like to grieve. We like to have grieved, but we don't want to go through the process of grieving. No. But it's, it's a tender place to be with the Lord because he is acquainted with grief and he lived with grief as he walked this earth. And so he understands it. One of my favorite little sections in the Bible is the beginning of the book of Job. And, um, you know, losing dad isn't the only loss we've walked through in this last season. So it, it was a deep season of loss and, I've got my Bible open in front of me and I'm looking at Job chapter two and it, and it's the end of the chapter when Job's three friends come. Now, they get a lot of things wrong after this. <laughs> yeah, they did something right at the beginning. <laughs> but they get a bad rap because, yeah. man, if if the friends who were able to do this from, with me and I allowed them to come close in this season were a real gift because the three wonderfully named friends hear Job's in trouble and set out and come to meet him. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And they began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. I think it's such a, a lesson of how to walk out hard seasons with friends. Uh, I want to be that kind of friend, but I th I'm so grateful f to the friends who were there for me in that way where there weren't platitudes or quick verses. There was just, I see your pain. I hear, I walk with you. And the gift that I had to be pushed into, my, my wife pushed me at different points to share with more friends, to increase my circle, to not sit and cry in my corner, but to, to, to have three or four people who I was weeping with. And, and yeah, 
I have sat and cried with with good friends, mm. and I think it's so important because that we are made for a relationship, and that is part of God's ministry to us are those deep friendships where we can just go, I can't do this. This is awful. And even watching to be able to minister that to Naomi, my daughter, this evening, and she just wept. Uh, and then uh, we ate beans. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was where the joy was. I was making dinner. I was making French beans, green beans, and they were topped and tailed and ready to go. And, and she loves raw beans. And so I gave her one and that brought a smile back to her face because it doesn't matter how bad life gets, there's still beans and they there's still, still taste good. <laughs> and, you know, Jesus is present with us. Mm. I think it's the second thought is rich friendships is in the process of this story, I made, read an amazing book uh, by Anne Lamont called A Thousand Gifts, which I would really recommend. Uh, and Voskamp. Oh, Voskamp, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's a great One book. The, yeah, sorry. Although Anne Lamott writes great books too. <laughs> yeah, wrong, wrong, wrong author. One of them swears, <laughs> one of them doesn't swear. So. And Voskamp counts her blessings. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. I'm not particularly a detailed person if you're picking this up already. <laughs> Deep apologies. But that's a great book. I agree. <laughs> apologies to both Anne Lamont and Anne Voskamp, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, and she her book, A Thousand Gifts, and her story contains tragedy. Pain she watched her, yeah, tragedy. She watched her, her younger sister bleed out on the kitchen table because she was run over by the milk truck uh, and their, their farm they lived on was a long way from help and there was nothing they could do and she literally bled to death on the kitchen table. And the bitterness that, that took hold in her life and her the story of God, yeah, restoring her and finding life. And she did that by, God called her to a season of counting her blessing, of seeing the small things. Um, and so I literally journaled a thousand gifts. It took me 11 months, three gifts a day. My goal was to to do different things, not not you know it would have been too easy to say my children are a gift and name each of them and that's my three <laughs> gifts for the day they, and do it again stayed, the next day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They stayed a gift, but I felt like God called me to look for a thousand different gifts, and I do. I've got a, a, a eleven months journaling of of a thousand different things where I saw God in the small stuff, and tonight it was green beans because they're still tasty and crunchy, and Naomi's in a painful crunch. And green beans are still amazing. And <laughs> and I can't, it's such a, a bizarre thought, but just to see the small stuff. I remember seeing swallows come back. I love swallows. And just to be sitting, go swallows. And then flocks of swallows. And then swallows sitting on, uh, they sit on all the wires. And just before they go home back to to Africa, they, they might migratory swallows. And, and so there they are, lines of them sitting on the wires. And just to sit with a drink in the evening and watch the swallows gather on the wires and you're like, okay, my story is deeply painful. I'm walking lost, but swallows are still okay. God is just bigger. And seeing seeing the small graces that God gives for us. Yeah, so I'd encourage someone who's really struggling to, to read that book by Anne, somebody or other. <laughs> and uh, and to walk, to walk that road because I've cited some big moments where you suddenly saw wow, God is amazing. But I think truly the making it through is much more in the seeing him in the everyday and the small stuff because the big stuff isn't going to happen every day. The big stuff is going to be, the it's the kind of stuff that goes in the book, but walking out life is in the chapters that didn't get written into the, here's my amazing story. of how <laughs> The missionary <book>. biography. <laughs> That's right, which is awesome. And the stories are so encouraging. And you finish that book and you go, wow. And then you go, yeah, but... That's not that's not the reality I'm in today. And I think most of us have got at least one or two or three of those moments where we go, wow, look what God did. And, and we have a story to tell, but we don't live our life in that chapter of the book. We live our life in the, I have to get up and get the kids to school this morning. <laughs> the margins of your book. <laughs> yeah, the spaces that, that don't make the big stories. Right. So that's my last question. In the middle of this very difficult battle, uh, how has God restoried you or given your family a new story in the midst of this grief? Yeah, I think I want to read from Lamentations because I think that's part of uh, what God's done. I think it's, I don't think I've ever been so sure of the goodness of God and his faithfulness as I am right now. 
and we're a few months after dad passing away but um the grief process isn't over and i think we've still got quite a ways to go of of recovering some of the ground as a couple of of walking through five really hard years but um i've got hope for that because um God says his mercies are new every morning. So I'm reading from uh, Lamentations chapter 3, starting in probably verse 19. It says, I remember my affliction and my, and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I wait for Him. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a good scripture. <laughs> yeah. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a young a man to bear the yoke while he's young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him. Let him be filled with disgrace, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion, for great is unfailing love. And I think, yeah, you see the emotion in those verses, because it's seeing the fact that God is enough today, and his mercies are new for tomorrow, so I don't need to worry about, is tomorrow going to be okay? Because God is enough for tomorrow, and God is enough for making good choices at the end of the day this evening as I'm winding down at the end of the day and that's often a moment where i'm more aware of how i'm feeling and god is enough for that moment god is enough to make it out of bed tomorrow morning and get the kids to school and and seeing that the the wonder of that i don't think i've ever been aware more aware of my own brokenness and my own weakness i don't feel like i'm getting it right i don't feel like i've got it all together but god's enough and yeah to see how even in this season of deep pain and brokenness that God's still calling me to teach. When I taught last Sunday in my dad's church, we were, were missionaries there. They're one of our sending churches. I went home and uh, the passage for last Sunday was uh, Mary outside the tomb looking for Jesus and not even seeming to recognize the angels. She, it's one of the few times when someone meets angels where they don't need to say peace. We're just angels. Mm-hmm. Almost like she doesn't recognize. And then Jesus himself talks to her and she doesn't recognize him. And and saying, you know, the challenges of those verses to, will we recognize Jesus in the midst of the pain? You see him. And the only way I had to share that story was was pretty much to stand and weep at the front of church, which is so exciting. <laughs> awesome to feel pulled into weeping in front of 200 people. Uh, and there were two or three times where I literally, I just couldn't speak. Similar to the, the reading of the passage just then, tears start to come and it gets hard to even see my notes. And, and yet I, I feel called into doing that in this season because I think it's so powerful because God is enough. People see his goodness and his kindness and, and the pain is so strong. And, and if I was doing this by myself, I'd, I don't know why I do. Curl up in a corner and never come out. <laughs> And just get really weird, <laughs> really, really odd, and do all kinds of unhealthy things and make poor choices. But in the goodness and kindness of God, there's grace for my brokenness. Mm-hmm. And and beyond that, it's not just I'm making it through. He's able to use me to bless other people. And that is just deeply humbling and yet so inspiring as well. Because it's not just making it. It's not just scraping by. It's in that deep pain shining. Yeah. And resonating, being salty and full of light for other people. It's like, wow, I, that is not me. But God's grace is, is bigger than that, bigger than me, bigger than my pain. And we're going to end on that because that is an important thing. And I think it will deeply minister to people listening to the Restory Show. I think all of us have our own sets of grief. They're different. They may not be the same, but we all are walking through that. And I'm so grateful for your story. I'm so grateful for your life. And I also just want to take this moment to say thank you for your encouragement in my life. You've sent some emails that were in perfect timing, obviously prompted by God. And and I needed them in that moment. And so I'll affirm that God is definitely using you through your grief. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, thank you for, 
yeah, for asking the questions because it, it does help to be asked the questions. And I, yeah, my prayer is that although people would hear us talk and go, "Wow, aren't they amazing?" But that you, if you're listening, you would see Jesus because He's the answer and He's enough. Yeah, He's the amazing one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Richard. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you today? Lord, I pray for those today whose relatives are battling dementia or Alzheimer's or people who have lost someone recently to one of those terrible diseases. So I I just pray for perspective and strength and that you would walk alongside in grief. And I know that you do that, so I'm grateful for that. But I also just thank you for Richard's father and the legacy that he left Richard and the fact that he walked with you for so many years and he lost his ability to have language and yet he still maintained a sweetness and a relationship with you that went beyond language. That to me, Lord, is miraculous and that is the prayer of my heart and the prayer that I pray for my audience as well, that we would become the kind of followers of you that even if we lost our language, people would know that we have followed you our whole lives. Such a great story. Thank you for being greater than language. Thank you for being greater than disease. Thank you for being greater than our expectations. And I also thank you for bringing Richard to a place where he is now doing his calling and that you brought him on the journey that he had to bring him to a place of humility. And I I pray that for all of us, that maybe we want to jump onto the bandwagon of our calling right now, but maybe you have a journey for us to walk before we hop into that. So help us to be humble and help us to patiently wait for your will to be revealed. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and all the extended stuff, please go to marydemuth.com forward slash restory18. That's restory18. And may you live a brand new story this week.